Welcome to Tempest, a history podcast. I'm Matt Smith. Okay, I promise that's out of my system now. But it's relevant. Give me a moment. We're standing in Stirling Gardens, which is the oldest public garden in the centre of Perth. It was actually used originally as an acclimatisation garden when the settlers came here in 1829. And next to us is the old courthouse, which is the oldest standing building in central Perth. The city of Perth on the western coast of Australia was founded in 1829. It was set up to be the administrative centre of the recently established Swan River Colony. And I'm standing in the shadow of one of its earliest buildings with the director of Heritage Perth, Richard Offen. It was constructed in 1836, up until 1836, most of the law requirements were carried out in temporary buildings. Perth's old courthouse isn't much to look at, and that's kind of what you'd expect from early buildings in a city. These days the old courthouse is found in the middle of Stirling Gardens, and let's be honest, it's in the car park of the Supreme Court. But I guess in some ways that shows just how old it is. It had long since been built before everything else came along. As the colony grew, there was clearly a need for a more substantial building. So, in 1836, this beautiful little courthouse, which today stands by its great-grandson, the Supreme Court building, was constructed by the colony's civil engineer, Henry Reveley. He designed this little building in what he described as a chaste and appropriate style, and it cost £698 to build. Now, £698 mightn't sound like a lot of money, but it was back in those days particularly to a colony like the Swan River Colony here that was actually very poor and in fact lived on an economic knife edge for at least its first 50 to 60 years of existence. You see, James Sterling had brought them to what he described when he was recruiting people to form the Swan River Colony to a utopia, but unfortunately it turned out to be a sandpit where they were troubled by rats, fleas and sand flies. So there were a lot of unhappy bunnies here. The design of the old courthouse is what you'd expect from an early building. It's simplistic and functional. It stands tall, but it's there to fulfil a basic need. And looking impressive and decorative wasn't the intention. It was really cobbled together with a lot of sun-dried bricks and bits of stone. As you can see, it's got a she-oak roof. And that hasn't always been very reliable. We know that in 1864, one judge was sitting in judgment during a winter court hearing and he had his umbrella up because the roof was leaking so badly. I get two impressions when I look at this building. One is that it surprises me that they had to build a courthouse so early in the days of the colony. And, and two is that it was clearly in the days of when they built for functionality, not for something that looks grandiose. It looks like they've gone, we need a building, we just wanted to get the job done. Of, of course, with lovely Doric columns out the front though. Yeah, the truth is they couldn't afford much more, I don't think. As I said, the, the colony was pretty impoverished. And whilst the colony was relatively law-abiding, through their own making they were beginning to have trouble with the Aboriginal people, not surprisingly, uh, therefore there was a need for courts. Also, among the lower echelons of society, the labourers and so on, there was problems like drunkenness and disorder. So it was felt that you had to impose law and order and have the most imposing building you could manage in order to do that. 
It has to be said that even though it was primarily a courthouse, it was the only public building in Perth at the time, so it found itself in pretty high demand. It wasn't only the courthouse, it served as the school, it served as church, it was the theatre, it was the concert hall, it was the immigration depot. It was a jack of all trades until some much bigger buildings were built in the next couple of decades. Okay, shall we go yeah. in? Walking across the car park now and in the shadow of the Supreme Court next to it, it's hard to get a feel for how this building was back in the early days of Perth. But you've got to think, if you've done something wrong, they're leading you into the only permanent standing structure in the city. You can tell that's a colony that takes its law pretty seriously. Here she is. Hello, how are you? After you, this is Matt. Hello, Hi, I'm Matt. How are you? How are you going? Nice I'm to meet Laura. you. Yep. The courthouse stayed in service until 1879. After that, it was accommodation for the grounds gardener and functioned as the government store until finally it came out of retirement in 1905 and renovated to be the arbitration court. And as we stand in this beautiful little building, this is roughly how the courtroom is set up now, as it was in the early 1900s as a petty sessions court. At the back of the room on an elevated balcony, that was for public viewing. Always great sport to go and watch the trials and see what was going to happen. Table in the middle here where the, the lawyers would have sat and the dock over there where the accused sat and then raised up on this dais the seat where the, the judge or whoever was hearing the case, the magistrates, would sit. The jurors sat on seats to the judge's right. And you're actually leaning on the uh, jurors' seats here. And when it came time for them to deliberate, they went through to the back of the courthouse, where they climbed a stepladder to a private room upstairs. So it was adapted clearly, and early pictures of the building before it was changed into the government gardener's house show that timber buildings were attached to the sides of it just to increase the capacity of the building. Was it a popular thing to do to come to the courts and watch the proceedings? Yes, it was, yeah. undoubtedly. You know, we didn't have television with, with yeah. uh, <laughs> law programs on or, or whatever. So yes, you'd come and see what was happening and sort of gloat at the proceedings. It was a source of entertainment. In February of 1849, 200 settlers of the Swan River Colony met in the courthouse to petition the British government for the establishment of a penal colony in Western Australia. There was a serious shortage of labour. So thanks to some lobbying, particularly by the agricultural societies in Perth, convicts came here in 1850. The convicts brought some 10,000 people into Perth. So a much bigger population, therefore a much bigger court list. The petition came with conditions on the convicts that were coming to Western Australia. One is that there were no female convicts, two is that there were no political prisoners of any sort, and three is that none of the convicts were convicted of serious crimes. In later years these conditions were disregarded, but for the most part they stuck and the increase in population had a lasting impact on the activity in the courthouse. By the 1870s, we find that this courtroom was sometimes being used 18 hours a day just to get through the court list. Trials were first held in the courthouse on 2nd of January 1837, with four cases going before the court. Sentenced for their crimes was John Williams, with six months jail with hard labour, for stealing a bottle of whiskey and a bottle of gin. Henry Burgess received six months for stealing a straw hat, two handkerchiefs and a piece of ribbon. Thomas Blakely was jailed for one month for stealing five shirts. Finally, an elderly Aboriginal named Gear 
was sentenced to one month in jail and 48 lashes for trying to steal some wheat. Many, many sad cases of, of Aboriginals brought to trial, a lot of them simply for stealing food, which was a cultural misunderstanding between those from Europe and the Aboriginals here. Some of the first cases at the court can offer a good glimpse about how hard life was back in those early days. Well, a good example is Jane Green, who was a young girl who was accused of killing her baby. Jane Green was brought to Perth as an orphan from England. She was under the care of the Children's Friends Society and was put to work in the household of one of its board members, Captain Whitfield. Now, we know that her boss was actually the father of that baby. and. She was eventually cleared of murder, but she was imprisoned for a couple of years. The records of the trial in the newspaper, The Enquirer, shows that there was a lot of sympathy to Jane Green's case. She was ultimately found not guilty of murder, but guilty of endeavouring to conceal a birth. And the general consensus amongst the community, we gather, was that they felt she'd been hard done by. So clearly that was a case where justice was dealt on very circumstantial evidence, so a bit of a difficult one, that. Another early trial that has a dubious milestone took place on the 3rd of April 1844, with the trial of 15-year-old John Gavin. Now, Gavin had come from the UK. He was actually one of the Parkhurst boys. Now, today, Parkhurst, which is on the Isle of Wight in Britain, is a high-security jail. Uh, in those days, it was a sort of reformatory for young boys, and the easiest way to deal with them was to send them off to the colonies. So he had no choice but to come here. Within months of arriving in the Swan River colony, Gavin was accused of murdering George Pollard, the 18-year-old son of his employer. While Gavin had confessed to the crime, he seemed to have little comprehension of what he had done. He was actually accused on very circumstantial evidence, it is said, and you gather from some of the records, that he probably had intellectual problems as well. John Gavin was hung for his crime on Easter Saturday, 1844. He was the first European executed in Western Australia. My thanks to my guest today, Director of Heritage Perth, Richard Offen. And the old courthouse is now a law museum. You can visit it in the middle of Stirling Gardens in Perth. The people who were in charge here did have a very strong sense of duty, a strong sense of allegiance to the British government and to the Crown. As to whether good justice was done, well, by modern standards, I think we would say that most of it was incredibly harsh. But at those times, it was considered fair for whatever it was. You've been listening to the History Podcast Tempest. Now, justice has changed a lot since the early days of Perth, but I asked my friend and Roman historian, Dr. Rhiannon Evans, how different they were back in the Roman days. Here's what she had to say. One of the ways that they made cases was not so much by presenting evidence as using the reputation of the person who was on trial or somebody who had brought forward a prosecution in order to destroy their reputation. And the most famous example is when Cicero, where he's defending a man called Caelius, is that he actually defends Caelius by having a go at Caelius's ex-girlfriend, who's a woman called Clodia. 
She, according to Cicero, has a reputation for sleeping around, for dancing, for singing, for doing all kinds of low-born things, even though she's an elite woman. And this means that any kind of testimony that she might have given is considered unworthy. It's a strategy that worked because Caelius was not found guilty. My thanks to Dr. Rhiannon Evans for that. You can find this podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, which is itunes.com forward slash Tempest Podcast, where you can subscribe, leave a review, and please tell your friends about it. You can follow me on Twitter, I'm at NightlightGuy, and you can find the Tempest Podcast on Facebook as well. And there's photos of the old courthouse, as well as a couple of Richard Offen in old judge's garb, at the website tempestpodcast.com. A thanks and welcome to all of those who found the podcast recently. You listening and leaving a review on iTunes saw it surge up the charts to number nine in Australia. So make sure you listen out for the next episode of Tempest. Until then, I'm Matt Smith. You've been fantastic, and thanks for listening.